0: Let's read together from the Word of God. We're turning to Gospel according to John, John chapter 3, and we're reading from verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish But have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Are you a born again Christian? That's a phrase we hear used often, even in the media and in many places, born again Christians. And often the implication seems to be that a born-again Christian is one variety out of a range of different kinds of Christians. Perhaps the the, the born-again variety would be the particularly keen Christians, Uh, the really enthusiastic ones. They're maybe thought of as the the born-again ones. Or perhaps in the minds of of some people, uh, the born again uh, Christians uh, are the ones who will come along and keep asking you if you're born again, if you're saved. Uh, The sort of Christian that's a real hassle and a bother to you and don't give you peace. Maybe they're the born again ones and it seems they won't rest until they get everybody else born again. That's how a lot of people think. Or on the minds of many, uh, sadly, the born-again ones are the bigoted ones. Uh, the ones that are set in their own ideas and their own moral standards, and nobody is right but them. They're the born-again Christians. And I suspect we wouldn't have to go too far out in the street to meet people who hold at uh, some of those views. And there are those who would say, maybe you've uh, heard them sometimes say, well, I'm just an ordinary Christian. You're not one of the born-again types, one of these uh, enthusiasts. I'm just an ordinary Christian. As if there are different varieties of Christians. Maybe not the, uh, the 57 varieties of Heinz, but there are different kinds of Christians. And born-again ones are just one sort And the thought, well, you don't have to be that kind. You can be another sort of Christian. And that's all right, just an ordinary sort. And maybe they're a lot easier to get on with anyway than these born-again sorts. Is that popular idea true? How could we tell whether it's true or not? Well, the best way, and in the end, the only way to figure it out is to come to the Bible, to the book that tells us what a Christian really is and isn't. To come to the Bible and to find out in the end what God knows a Christian to be. Because that's the only opinion that matters. In the end, it doesn't matter what we think or what the man or woman on the street thinks. It's what God has to say. That's all that matters. So if we want to know what a Christian really is and how many varieties of Christians there are or aren't, we need to turn to the Bible. And that's what we're going to do this morning. When we turn to the Bible, one of the things we discover very quickly is that there's only one kind of genuine Christian. Oh, lots of people can call themselves Christian. Plenty do. But as far as the Bible is concerned, there's only one kind of Christian, and that is the born again type. A person is a true Christian, in other words, only if he's experienced what the Bible describes as a new. Birth. And that's what we want to think about for a time this morning. We're turning to John chapter 3, the passage that we read earlier, and particularly uh, the phrase uh, that we find in verse 3 and in other verses in the chapter, born again. I want to think this morning about born again. What is it? What does it mean? Have we experienced it. Born again. This takes us right to the heart of the gospel, because that's really, of course, what we do in this fourth Lord's Day of the month, our morning worship. We're really going back each time to the gospel, because even if you've been a Christian for most of your life, it's important to come back to the basics of the gospel and remember what God has done for you, and to remember what has happened to you that's turned you from being a sinner who was lost to being a child of God. We really can't think of those great things too often. So, born again. We're thinking about this new birth that Jesus talks about. To Nicodemus here in John chapter 3. And the first thing that we need to think about is the origin of the new birth. The origin of the new birth. Remember, Jesus is meeting with Nicodemus, a leading member of the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, a leading Jewish theologian. This is a man who knew his Bible our Old Testament in his training uh, he would have memorized large parts of the Old Testament he could have put us uh, to shame in the amount of the Old Testament he would have known off by heart he could have quoted it to you at great length and so here is Nicodemus coming to Jesus this Galilean carpenter now, that was a big step for Nicodemus to take. And yet, here's a man who was keen uh, to learn more about Jesus and about his teaching. Jesus wasn't a trained rabbi. And yet, in his teaching, uh, there were things that clearly intrigued uh, and attracted a man like Nicodemus. He wanted to learn more. And yet, as we are told uh, in the second verse, of John 3 he came at night and the obvious explanation is he didn't want to be seen. He was afraid of what his colleagues other Pharisees other members of the council would have thought of him they might well have given him an extremely hard time Uh, and he's not ready for that yet a day will come uh, when he would be ready to face that But not yet. So he comes at night. He comes uh, clandestinely to Jesus to ask his questions and hear more about Jesus' teaching. And Nicodemus starts off with what really is his, his present view of Jesus. This is how, at the moment, he understands Jesus. You are a teacher who has come from God. And there is clearly a degree of respect for Jesus. The teachers come from God. Uh, as Nicodemus says, uh, no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. So he's taken a step on the way uh, because most of the other Pharisees would not for a moment have acknowledged Jesus as a teacher come from God. So that's encouraging. But the Lord Jesus, of course, knows the heart of Nicodemus. And Jesus knows uh, perfectly well that for someone to acknowledge him as a teacher come from God simply isn't enough. It may be well and good as far as it goes, but it actually doesn't go very far. A teacher Come from God. That could mean all sorts of things. A Muslim could say that Jesus was a teacher come from God. They will happily speak about him as a prophet. But they don't trust in him or believe in him as Savior and Lord. So Nicodemus has taken a step, but it's a small step. Jesus is a teacher come from God. And Jesus immediately gets right to the heart of the matter. It's not an issue of acknowledging him as a teacher, but rather, Jesus directly says to him, I tell you the truth. That's a very solemn expression Jesus uses. In the older translations, it's verily, verily, or truly, truly. Jesus is in a very solemn way telling Nicodemus something that is vitally important. It's almost as if he was, he was highlighting it, underlining it. Nicodemus, this is something you need to hear and need to accept. And then he says to Nicodemus, No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Nicodemus, it isn't enough to think that Jesus is a teacher come from God. It isn't enough to see Jesus doing miracles and being impressed by them. Lots of people did that. But that isn't enough. That isn't enough to save your soul. That isn't enough to make you right with God. Nobody, Jesus says, can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. This new birth, Jesus is saying, is essential for being in a right relationship with God. That's what it means to see God's kingdom, to be part of God's people. This is essential, essential for salvation. A sinner must experience this new birth, the most radical spiritual change possible. He needs to be remade spiritually. He needs to be born again. Another way you could translate that expression that Jesus uses is born from above. Be perfectly right and correct uh, to put in verse 3 that no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born from above. Same word can mean both born again and born from above. Now, Nicodemus clearly takes it as born again because he goes on to say, but look, how, how could somebody who's an adult, who's older, go through another birth? But very fundamentally, Jesus is saying to Nicodemus and he's saying to us today, we need to be born from above. That's where this new birth has its origin. It is not something that comes from this world, from any power or any person in this world. The new birth comes from above. It has its origin in heaven. It's a work of God. So we are not talking about some kind of change uh, that you or I can, can affect in our lives As people sometimes, you know, try and beat bad habits and try and reform themselves and and do better. That's not what Jesus is describing here. Born from above, born from heaven, born by God himself. And we can't do that. Well, we couldn't bring about our physical birth, could we? It's not in our power to decide, well, these will be my parents, I will choose them, and I would like to be born at a certain time, and so forth. That's ludicrous, of course not. Our physical birth wasn't in our power whatsoever. We couldn't bring it about. No more is this new birth, this spiritual birth, in our power. Nor could we bring it about. It is entirely God's work. And we must seek it from God. If you would be born again, you need to seek it from God. Cry it to God for this new birth. Its origin is in heaven. We need to be born again from above it's not the result of human effort to be good or trying very hard to satisfy God if that's how you're going to live you're in a treadmill trying to be good enough for God because the one question that you cannot answer is when have I done enough And if you put yourself on that treadmill of trying to be good enough for God, you will never have peace because you'll never know when you've done enough. And the truth is you never will have done enough because it's not something that you do. It's something that God does. Born from above. The origin of the new birth is in heaven. Then we need to think secondly about the gift of the new birth. How it actually becomes ours. It's something God does. It's something that is heavenly in its origin. But how does it come to be ours? Notice Jesus' comment in verse 6. Flesh gives birth to flesh in other words we are human we are sinful we are fallen creatures and if we are left to ourselves we'll never be any different that is all we'll ever be we're born as sinners we sang about it in Psalm 51 and left to ourselves sinners is all we will ever be we cannot change ourselves efforts to try and tidy up your life and make it acceptable to God are just futile. They'll come to nothing. The new birth may be ours only as God's gift. His free gift. Paul writes about it in Romans 6 and verse 23. He says the wages of sin is death. That's what we earn by our sins. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The gift of God is eternal life. This birth has to come from outside ourselves. Just as we didn't decide in our conception and our birth that resulted from the actions of others, of our parents. So this new birth, this birth from above, Comes by the sovereign action of God. It is God's free gift. We receive without help or advice from us, God does this great work. And we've got to take that to heart. That's humbling, of course, because there's something in most of us that would like to contribute a little bit. To salvation. Maybe not a big bit, but a little bit. Some corner of salvation that you can say to yourself, Well, I did that. God did all the rest, but there's a little bit I did. And there's something in the heart of each of us that likes to have a little claim to a corner of salvation. Some tiny bit that we contributed. But there isn't anything we can contribute. There's nothing in this birth from above for which we can take any credit. And that is humbling. It comes to us and it says you're not good enough. And you can't be good enough. And there's nothing you can do to save yourself. And that humbles us right to the lowest but the wonderful thing is when we are humbled and when we recognize there's nothing we can contribute, then we realize only God can do it. And God can do it. The Almighty God, the God who gives the gift of new birth. James writes about it as well. We've been studying James's letter in morning worship for a while. James 1 and 18 Of his own will, he brought us forth. Of his own will. So all the credit and all the glory and salvation belong to the Lord. This new birth, this birth from above can't be earned. It can only be received. You ever found sometimes you give somebody a present and they want to pay for it. Give them a gift. No, I I want to pay for that. Or you give them a gift and the first thing they have to do is give you something. Contribute. Not to be in anybody's debt. But as far as this birth from above is concerned, there's nothing we can give. There's nothing we can give back to God. We are in his debt completely. And we always will be to free Not in our control. That's why Jesus uses the illustration of the wind. The wind blows where it pleases. And the wind is ultimately mysterious. You could be a meteorologist and describe the pressures and so on. uh, Why the wind blows the way it does. But in the end, there's a mystery about the wind. And it's outside human control. And in the new birth, we see God's power at work to change a person. You see someone brought to the new birth and saved. It's a wonderful thing to see them transformed by God's power. In the end it's it's mysterious. It's beyond our understanding and we can't bring it about. Preacher can't bring anybody to the new birth. And you and I are powerless to bring someone else to the new birth. It's God's gift, God's work that keeps us humble. But it makes us look to the Lord and it makes us call out to God to save us and to save others and to bring them to the new birth. It's God's work and all the glory is his. The origin of the new birth. The gift of the new birth. And then thirdly, the effects of the new birth. The effects of the new birth. Now when someone is born from above, born again, we can't, as it were, see that the hand of God touching them We can't see something visible happening to them. But we'll see the results. If someone is really born from above, we'll see the effects that it has on the way they live. And what are the effects of this new birth? What would you expect to see in a person who has experienced this birth from above? Well, first of all, it illumines our minds. It illumines our minds how we think. You see, Jesus in verse 3 speaks about seeing the kingdom of God, being able to understand, to see spiritual things, Because the fact is, before we are born again, we are blind spiritually. That was true of Nicodemus. Here is a man who knew the Old Testament scriptures, and yet he was blind to what they meant. He couldn't see that this was the Saviour sitting with him in that room that night. He couldn't see the kingdom of God for all his knowledge and for all his intellectual capacity, and he had plenty of that. He couldn't see these things. We're blind to spiritual things until God brings us to experience this new birth. Maybe you can remember a time when you didn't really understand who Jesus is. You didn't realize uh, what he had come to do. You didn't accept the message that he brought. Perhaps you can remember that. Some of us can't remember a time when that was the case, but maybe some of you can. But you were blind spiritually. You couldn't see these things. And then suddenly, you could. And you could understand Who Jesus is and what he had done to save sinners. Things that made no sense to you before. You could suddenly understand them. Your eyes were opened. The Lord had illumined your mind. Now you could understand. And in front of you is a whole lifetime of learning more about these things. That once you were blind to them. Now you can see. It's not a matter of intellect. It's not a matter of education. A man like Nicodemus had a powerful intellect. He was a well-educated man. But until he was born again, he couldn't see these things, and he couldn't understand them. It's not how clever you are. It's whether God has touched your life and opened your eyes. It illumines our minds. It also liberates our wills. Liberates our wills. Because the New Testament describes sinners such as we are. As slaves to sin. That's how Jesus puts it in John 8.34. Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. And we're powerless to break free. We may try to improve our lives a bit. And get rid of some bad habits. But... We don't ever really succeed. We're slaves to sin. We can't break free. Again, as as Paul describes in Ephesians 2, we're dead in transgressions and sins. We can't change ourselves. We can't will what is good and what's pleasing to God. But when we're born from above, what a change. Now we're able to want what is good and what's holy and what honors God? What a change. Things that we'd no taste for, no liking for, suddenly they're beautiful to us, they're wonderful to us. And we want to do the things that honor God and please Him. Once we were slaves, we were not able not to sin. Now when we're born from above, we are able not to sin. Now we're not perfect. We won't be until we're in glory. But we are now able to desire and to will the things that please God. We're born from above. It illumines our minds. It liberates our wills. It transforms our living. Verse 5. Born of water. And the spirit—that seem a strange expression. Born of water and the spirit. What does Jesus mean when he says that? What he's telling us, I believe, that when we are born from above, we look to the Lord as our Savior. Our sins are forgiven. We're washed. Now, that's language that's often used in the Bible. We're washed of our sins. Again, we sang about it in Psalm fifty-one. Be be whiter than snow that 's us the water it 's not literal water, and it 's not baptism it 's talking about. we are washed of our sins, we are forgiven, we are cleansed. Paul writing in one corinthians six eleven says of all kinds of sinners, you are now Christians, he says, you were washed, and if you 're a Christian today if you're a born-again Christian, the only sort, you were washed, washed of your sin and your guilt, forgiven by a loving, gracious God. And now we are able, with God's help, of course, to live holy lives that honor him. What a transformation, born from above. It illumines our minds. It liberates our wills. It transforms our living. And finally, it draws us to Christ. It draws us to Christ. That is the first evidence that a man or woman has been born again. They trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, a Savior and Lord. You find that in verse 16, very, very well known verse. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him. The first indication, the first effect of born from above is believe in. And the Lord Jesus Christ, trust in him as saviour and Lord. That's our response to God's love and God's grace in giving us this birth from above. It draws us to Christ. How do you know you've been born again? And the first evidence, if you come to Christ and trusted in him for salvation you believe in the lord jesus christ that's the first test that's the big question The question for all of us today as we think about this new birth have you experienced it are you born again christian are you a christian The only Christian, the only true Christian is one born from above. And if you're born from above, the first thing you do is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in him. Have you done that? Have you trusted in Christ? Are you born again? There's no other kind of Christian. Here's a work of God. Only God can grant the new birth call out to God to grant you this gift, this wonderful gift that will draw you to Christ and that will give you a wonderful, everlasting salvation. No one can see the kingdom unless he's born again, born from above. A birth that will illumine your mind that will liberate your will, that will transform your living, and that first and foremost will draw you to Christ, to trust in him.